This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Chris Trapasso here. Welcome in to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. Today, I tackle AFC South draft grades. Very fascinating division with Urban Meyer, Carson Wentz, Tim Tebow, Trevor Lawrence, Derrick Henry, no more Arthur Smith, and then the Houston Texans. And everything that has transpired in that organization over the last 18 months or last nine months even has been insane. So we're going to cover the AFC South. I'm going to start with the Indianapolis Colts. In the last episode, which was the NFC West, I talked about a team in the San Francisco 49ers that had my least favorite draft class of any team in the NFL. I'm just going to get the bad out of the way again. And I started with the 49ers in the last episode. Check that out if you're a fan of any any NFC West teams or you're just interested in how teams did in the draft like I am. If you're a huge draft nerd, then you should be listening to all of these episodes post-draft. I'm going to start with the Indianapolis Colts. I was a little concerned with their philosophy. Wasn't really sure what they were doing. Save themselves late, and I'll get to all the picks now. Quiddy Pay at number 21 overall. I like the pick. Uh, I like the player. That's right around where I had him graded. He was my number two edge rusher behind Aziz Ojulari. And what's one interesting thing that uh, to bring up when talking about Quiddy Pay? It's so fascinating grading prospects like in December, in January. And I'm not a big like analyst that likes to have almost concrete grades like before a season is over. So, I I mean, for being a draft analyst, a lot of people are uh, done with their grades in February and March. I mean, realistically, I could be done by then, but... I'm really trying to start to cram almost in January. And I try to do like the premium positions, quarterback, wide receiver, edge rusher, offensive tackle early on. And I landed on Aziz Ojulari at one, Quiddy Pay at two, and Jalen Phillips at three pretty early. And then it was just crazy to see like how names move around when more people watch. And I could maybe take something from that because I do think a lot of coaches get involved post playoffs and post Super Bowl. And remember, like where a player is picked, first, second, third, fourth round, fifth round later, that has a huge determining factor on how he ultimately plays in the NFL or or if he succeeds or not. First round, second round picks are going to get more opportunities. There's going to be more leeway when they mess up or they don't play very well, more excuses built in for them. Day three picks, especially the late ones, need to make an impact like in the first couple of reps in training camp, or it's going to be difficult for them to even get an opportunity to show how good they are. So with Quiddy Pay, 
I don't know, like he, he kind of moved up and down boards during the pre-draft process, but he was entrenched as my number two edge rusher for the longest time. And I think a lot of people had him as the number one edge rusher. Uh, I thought he was a ascending prospect. He was one of the many edge rushers in this draft class that I viewed as ascending and that the pass rushing moves were getting better. You could tell the game was slowing down for them a little bit. They understood that they could take their time in a pass rushing plan and win and still get to the quarterback. Pretty good athlete. I don't still don't think that he tested to the hype of being number one on Bruce Feldman's freak list, but the combine was very good. A little bit smaller than what people thought. He was listed at Michigan at like 6'4", 275. Came in at 6'2 261. 40-yard dash, 4.57. Let's go to – let's look at it from an edge, not defensive end perspective. The 4.57, 95th percentile. The vertical jump, 77th percentile. Broad jump, 65th. I would have loved to see him do the three-cone because that was like he was going to run some crazy time in the three-cone. He didn't ultimately test. Didn't go through that drill. 36 bench press reps is crazy. 90th percentile. He's very strong. And that shows on film. He's powerful. The pass rushing moves are increasing. And I think he's pretty bendy around the edge for being kind of a, a squatty or edge rusher, kind of in that uh, Carlos Basham, Shaq Lawson type of frame. 6'2 261, decently long arms. And they needed an edge rusher. So I was fine with that at. 21. I thought that tackle was more of a need. Uh, but as we saw a week or so after the draft, they did sign Eric Fisher. So that kind of changes this draft class a, a little bit. Maybe they knew the Colts front office that they had Eric Fisher in their crosshairs and they're like, hey, we're going to sign him after the draft so we can push offensive tackle down our priority list a little bit. Then Dio Odiyingbo from Vanderbilt, the edge rusher, Odiyingbo. Gave that a C plus. I like the player. I wasn't as high on him as a lot of other people. Like there early on before he tore his Achilles, there was like late first round buzz for him. Tears his Achilles during draft season. So it's going to be difficult for him to come in and be a big time edge rusher as a rookie. So you're probably missing out on at least half of his rookie season, but very heavy hands pretty good burst off the snap. He's big. Uh, I thought on that Vanderbilt team, he absolutely stood out. 6'5", 276, tentacles for arms, 35 and a fourth inches long. Pretty powerful too. Like he looks like a pretty high floor edge rusher. And we obviously didn't get to see him work out because he tore his Achilles during the pre-draft process. But Odie Ingbo is someone that plays with high energy and kind of feels like he would have been a pretty good athlete for being that big. And we know that their GM, Chris Ballard loves the high upside edge rushers. Not a lot of them have really worked out in his first couple of drafts, these raw specimens, but Odie Yangbo and even Quiddy pay, they're pretty polished. They know how to use their hands. I think Odie Yangbo is actually better then Quiddy Pay in terms of pass rushing moves and just pure power. Quiddy Pay is pretty powerful too. But with those arms, with the length of those arms and his size, he tips the scales over 270 pounds, almost 280 pounds. Big rusher. Picked him at 54 overall. I thought that was a tick early, especially because of the injury. 
So I gave it a C plus. Maybe that was a little harsh looking back on it. But it was mostly because they went back-to-back edge rushers. And I do think that was a pretty big need. And in my write-up on the CBSSports.com draft tracker, I wrote, I'm just surprised this wasn't offensive line here. So it really wasn't about Odie Yingbo that he wasn't a good prospect. If it, if it was only about the player, I would have given that probably somewhere in the B range. Then in round four, they didn't have a third-round pick. Kyle Granson, the tight end from SMU. He's an older prospect. He's a move tight end. He's not blocking. Pretty good separation ability. And he comes into the league with a fair amount of accolade or not accolades, but uh, ability as someone after the catch that can make plays. He's a little smaller, 6'1", 241. So it's not surprising that he can create separation short to intermediate level. And he flashed a little bit after the catch. Tested pretty well, too. Everything about the 80th percentile. 464, 36 and a half inch vertical, 120 inch broad jump, 79th percentile. Three cone, 6.93 seconds, 85th percentile among tight ends. I don't think, I mean, 464 is good. I just, I thought he was even a little slower than that. And we know that from his time in Philadelphia, Carson Wentz likes throwing to tight ends. So from that perspective, I think I had him graded like in the fifth or sixth round. But again, I, I, it's not linear. It's not where I had him graded based. And then I base my individual grade on where I had someone graded and then where he was picked. It's team situation, roster makeup certainly factors in. Just gave that a B plus. Then at 165 in the fifth round, at this point in the draft, I'm still wondering where is the offensive tackle? Sam Tevy cannot be your starting left tackle. They pick Sean Davis, very much a throwback safety. He is, if he was in the 2011 draft, he would have gone like in the first or the second round because he's pretty big and he is a big time hitter. Can he cover the slot? No. Is he going to range from the deep middle and show great instincts and be the first one to react to a route concept? No. 5'10", almost 5'11", 202 pounds, shorter arms, had a 39 and a half inch vertical, 128 inch broad jump. Those are both those jumps in the 89th percentile among safety. So he's a good athlete. He's explosive and it shows on film and he will lay the lumber. So maybe the Colts felt like they wanted more of an authoritative presence at their safety spot. But the NFL has not been very kind of late to this type of safety, but it is in the fifth round. I just did not see a lot of coverage instincts, uh, ball skills, ball production, some misses on film because he is going for that highlight reel hit a lot. But he's a striker. Then in the sixth round of 218 overall, Sam Ellinger, I did not think he was NFL caliber. He's been starting since he was a freshman at Texas, so he's played a million games, but he's small. He does not have a good arm. I thought his pocket presence was atrocious. He was constantly trying to run, and he actually was a very productive rusher in terms of just scrambling and even in the designed run game at Texas. Is he a good enough athlete to carry out some of those same duties in the NFL? No. 6'1", 220, 484 in the 40-yard dash, 36.5-inch vertical, which is crazy good for a quarterback, 94th percentile. 
The rest of it, broad jump, 70th percentile, three cone, 41st percentile. One of his top comparables in terms of athleticism, Greg McElroy. Like that's the kind of athlete. I think he's more athletic and is more willing to be a playmaker with his feet than Greg McElroy was. But even in the sixth round, I, I just didn't see it with him. I mean, I guess it's the quarterback spot. I gave it a C minus in real time. I probably should have boosted it a little because it's worth a flyer taking. It's worth taking a flyer on the most valuable position on the field that late. I just didn't think his accuracies, decision-making arm strength were all below NFL average in the pocket presence. Like the first sign of pressure he's out. And a lot of times he would just leave the pocket when there was no pressure. He's not going to be able to win that way in the NFL. Michael Strawn, the wide receiver from Charleston in the seventh round. And this, they picked Ashton Dullin a few years ago from school is escaping me right now. I want to say Malone. I need to look that up. So they have a history with, uh, picking these small school guys that are crazy productive and just hoping they stick Malone. That was right. 2019. They didn't pick him, but they signed him uh, as an undrafted free agent. He has five catches for 70 yards in his career. Strong's big. He's different than Ashton Dolan, who was insanely productive there at Malone. Six, five, And I got to his film late. Almost 6'6". Six, six. Very long arms, big hands. Tested like a middle-ish of the road athlete. 4.54, four, which is pretty good for that size. 35-inch vertical, 127-inch broad jump. That's in the 86th percentile. The three cone, under 7 seconds, but it's only the 50th percentile. 6.96 seconds. 20 bench press reps, pretty good. He's lanky. I don't think he's very sudden. He's just that rebounder. Runs decent routes but was more just like this physical specimen that was just catching the ball over small cornerbacks that didn't have an NFL future playing at Charleston. But they do need some playmakers in that offense. So 229 overall, I was okay with it. Didn't love it though, because he, he's catch radius and he's a straight line speed guy. And I was still wondering where is the offensive tackle? And then at 248 overall, Will Freeze from Penn state. He was so versatile. He played like every offensive line spot during his time with the Nittany lions. Good length. The short area quickness is good. Very good run blocker carries out his assignments on a routine basis. You're not going to see him lunging, unable to find a linebacker. And he's, I think he's pretty powerful. Like he definitely is one of those types. And this has kind of been the case for a lot of the Penn state offensive linemen which is weird because everyone else in their program comes out as a freak. A lot of the Penn state offensive linemen recently are very fundamentally sound and like decent athletes, but they like need to get stronger. And Will freeze is one of those almost six, seven, three Oh nine, but his arms are under 33 inches. So he really has a unique body type. They can play tackle. They can play guard. I don't think you could really play him at center, but he has the agility to play at the center spot. I think he didn't test amazing, but they're the broad jump 96 percentile among offensive tackles, the 20 yard shuttle or the short shuttle 90th percentile vertical 82nd percentile. So I think for a team that needs offensive line depth, despite having a very good starting five, 
And I mean, at the time of the draft, it was a good starting four. But now with Eric Fisher coming off an Achilles injury into his 30s, I'm a little skeptical. I don't think this is just plug and play and he's going to be 2016 Eric Fisher. But I liked adding him just to raise the floor of that offensive line and then picking Will Freeze in round seven. I, I could see him sticking. And I remember last year, Danny Pinter, Ball State, fifth round, crazy athlete, played tackle, can be a guard in the NFL level. They have some intriguing guys on this roster in the trenches. Sam Tevy can play in a pinch. We know that. Julian Davenport, Will Holden. But it's all about that starting five that is very, very good. So overall, the Eric Fisher move for the Colts moves the needle a little. But a lot of C's in here. I'm going to give them a C plus. Maybe at absolute best B minus, but there's a lot of C's right there from Odie Ingbo at 54, Sean Davis, Ellinger, Strawn. So C plus for the Colts. I still think they need a playmaker. I know Michael Pittman flashed, but he wasn't a high volume guy. They re-signed T.Y. Hilton. He's still quality. I don't know if I would call him like a very dangerous number one wide receiver anymore. And maybe if we see Paris Campbell healthy, he can flash. But it's a group that I think will be will help elevate Carson Wentz because of the offensive line. If Eric Fisher can play well, but the skill position talent isn't great. So C plus for the Colts. Uh, they were there with the 49ers. C C plus somewhere in that range. Was not a gigantic fan of what they did uh, even after signing Eric Fisher later. Now let's go to the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Urban Meyer show. Boy, this is going to be so intriguing to watch this unfold this year and for the next couple of years, unless things get bad really fast for him, but he'll probably be around for a couple seasons. Trevor Lawrence at number one overall, not going to talk about this any more than one sentence. It's the pick they had to make best quarterback prospect in 40 years. So I guess two sentences after that, Travis Etienne at 25 overall. And it's come out after the draft that Urban Meyer was like beside himself that he couldn't pick Kadarius Tony, that the Giants and the Bears agreed to a trade that landed Justin Fields in Chicago. The Giants moved from 11, <coughs> excuse me, to 20 overall and pick Kadarius Tony after the trade back. Dave Gettleman's first trade back as a GM in any round. They pick Kadarius Tony. Clearly, Urban Meyer had his sights set on him, and then he said, "Okay, let's go with like the next best option in terms of an offensive weapon." I had Percy Harvin at Florida, Curtis Samuel at Ohio State. I want that type. Would I have picked a running back in the first round? If I'm a rebuilding team, definitely not. I was like, for a team like the Bills, I was like, okay, getting even if it's not a great long term answer for what will, would be a first round pick or the best allocation of a first round pick thinking long view. He's going to help in year one, year two, year three. Okay. Push them over the top. I, I would have been okay with that, but for a team that's rebuilding to pick a running back in the first round, when you have a thousand yard rusher that was undrafted on your roster, if any team should be like, Oh wow, we understand like you can get good running backs later. It should be the Jaguars, but Urban Meyer, I think his 
He's running the show. He's like, hey, I'm Urban Meyer. I'm picking Travis Etienne. No one's going to say anything about it. And then he's, you know, cross-training him at receiver. I think Etienne can be really good. I'm a little concerned about the offensive line, both for Trevor Lawrence and for Travis Etienne, because Etienne ran behind a good offensive line during his career at Clemson. A lot of big holes. I don't know if he's going to see as many big holes with the Jaguars. And he's not crazy elusive. He's a slasher. He's a speed guy. Then at the top of round two, the first pick in round two, Tyson Campbell. I thought it was a little bit early because despite being a big recruit and being like a size explosion special uh, specimen like J.C. Horn, like Patrick Sertan, I saw Tyson Campbell get beat over the top far too often. Like it didn't happen a ton, but to be this high of a pick, I, I would have liked to see a little bit of cleaner film. And now they're saying that he's going to play like in the nickel. And I don't think he's really that he's twitchy, but I mean, at, at his size, you're on, there's only so much twitch you're going to be able to have at six, one, 193 pounds. And actually he didn't really, he ran four, four flat, but he didn't test that well. The vertical was in the 30th percentile for Tyson Campbell broad jump, hundred and 24 inches, 66th percentile, three cone, 15th percentile, 40 or 20 yard shuttle, second percentile. I don't know. I didn't hate it. I gave it a B minus. I just thought it was a little early. There would have been other corners I would have picked there. Then Walker Little at 45 is compelling because we haven't seen Walker Little on the field since week one of the 2019 season suffered a season ending injury against Northwestern in that game. And then he opted out in 2020. Now in 2018, he looked like someone that was tracking toward being a first round pick. He's really big. He's effortlessly strong. I think he's going to get stretched to the limit athletically at the NFL level. And I would have liked to see a little bit more of an onus on solidifying either the left or the right tackle spot after you pick Trevor Lawrence, like to start out the Trevor Lawrence era. You have Cam Robinson and Jawan Taylor, and neither of those two. I know it's a little bit earlier, or it's a few years earlier in the career for Jawan Taylor to kind of say that the uh, case is closed on him. Neither of them have really played that well. And I don't care that Cam Robinson is the franchise player. I think they did that just for, for cap reasons and that they didn't want to go into the draft thinking, hey, we need to pick an offensive lineman or an offensive tackle in round one. So little, it's like kind of an incomplete grade. I, I did like his film. I had him graded uh, like late second, early third, I think. So I picked him like mid, early-ish second. But it was a big knee. That's why I gave it a B plus. And then at 65, I gave an A plus to the selection of Andre Cisco, the safety from Syracuse. If you listen to this podcast, if you read my work on cbssports.com, you know that I had Andre Cisco as a first round safety. I thought his film was spectacular. And I, I didn't I didn't see a ton of like bad angles or getting sucked up by play action any more so than any other safety. I mean, there are times when safeties are playing truly a free safety role and they're told like, we don't care if there's any play action fake. You don't need to come downhill at all. But 90% of safeties, they see the play action, they take a few steps forward, and then they try to retreat. But Cisco has the twitch and the recovery speed and the ball skills to make up for it. 
he is a game changer in terms of his coverage skills, his range at safety. And he's big. He's big. He's built like an NFL safety. Tore his ACL early in the season, so he'll be fully recovered by the start of the season, most likely. He can be that in-the-box guy if you need him to, and then you roll him back to the deep middle and let him just find the football. The ball production speaks for itself. He's twitchy. He's instinctive. I think he's going to well outplay being a third-round pick. So that was an awesome selection uh, by the fighting Urban Myers down in Duval County, Florida. 106 overall, J2 Fele from USC. They needed more pass rushing push on the interior, and that's what Tufele is. He's got a great swim move. He plays with a high motor, but I think he rushes pretty high. There's not a lot of power to his game, and he's not very good against the run. So he's almost like, you know how there are edge rushers that are just like outside linebacker, quote-unquote, that are just like pass rushing specialists? I think Tufele is that, but on the inside. Jordan Smith at 141 overall gave this a B plus former Florida recruit. And he played or he was part of the Florida program and then transferred to UAB. He is tall. He is super bendy for being six, seven or almost six, six two sixty four, which is a weight that no one was really expecting from him. Cause he looked really lanky on film, but because I think he bulked up. He had a three cone time close to eight seconds. Eight seconds. It's like in the zero percentile, the lowest percentile possible for an edge. Ran slow. But on the field, he looks springy. He looks very bendy. He looks like someone, he must have fallen down, truly, because he looks like he can flatten to the quarterback. And the pass rush move arsenal is pretty good. It was mostly just about. Um, if Jordan Smith could be strong enough and could hold up uh, against power because he rushes naturally pretty high at six foot six, but he's got long arms. I, I liked his film. I thought fourth round was completely fine. I gave that a B plus Luke Farrell. This was a strange pick. They picked him at 145 overall. He was not really on the draft radar. He's, in line, but he's not a great blocker. They used him in that role mostly at Ohio State. Didn't have a lot of receiving production with the Buckeyes. This almost felt like Urban Meyer kind of recruited him and was like, hey, like I'm, and just kind of circled back to someone that he remembered from the Ohio State program. He's a decent athlete. So that's maybe what could be indicating to Urban Meyer and, and the brain trust there in Jacksonville that he could be a better receiver in the NFL than he was in college. And tight end was, a, I would say, sizable need. But 145 was too early. And then Jalen Camp at 209 overall. Strictly, he's another one from Georgia Tech. Like Demarius Thomas, like Stephen Hill. That's just a size speed specimen. Like he's tall, tested through the roof, but it's just so hard to get any type of idea about him. 6'2", 226, so he's like an A.J. Brown type. 448, 39.5 inch vertical, broad jump in the 78th percentile, 7 second flat in the 3 cone, 29 bench press reps. Like He's a specimen, but Georgia Tech didn't really throw the football. He had a couple games with like one catch for 50 yards, 
But at 209, I was like, whatever, I'm fine with that. B minus, like take a chance on someone and try to develop him in the sixth round at 209. So overall, it was a kind of a weaving draft for the uh, Jaguars that they start with Trevor Lawrence. Travis Etienne was a little bit of a head scratcher. So was Tyson Campbell. Walker Little is fascinating. We don't know much about him. Cisco is amazing. Jordan Smith did not test very well at all, tested very poorly, but was one of the leaders in pressure creation and the amount of pressures that he generated at UAB in his final season there with the Blazers. Luke Farrell off the draft radar and then Jalen Camp late as this developmental type. I'm going to give the Jaguars a B minus, B minus to B range. Solid, not great. Not brutal. There are some picks in there that stand out, most namely Trevor Lawrence, the easiest pick in the draft. Cisco is going to be a very good player. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if J2 Fele creates some pressure as someone that just has a good swim move, good swipe, good burst off the ball, and a lot of energy. And I think Travis Etienne will be a good player. I just don't know if the value uh, was correct. Now let's go to the Tennessee Titans. They've been a playoff team the past couple of seasons, AFC title game two years ago lose to the Baltimore Ravens in the wildcard round at home in the 2020 playoffs. They lose their head co- or they lose their offensive coordinator. I should say Arthur Smith, who is now the head coach with the Atlanta Falcons, but they still have Mike Vrabel there. Who's proven to be a good head coach. They still have Derrick Henry. Who's led the NFL in carries the past two seasons. So they may need to start scaling that back. Although Travis, Travis Henry, uh, Derrick Henry is not of this planet as we've seen from his workout videos this off season. And it'll just be interesting to see what uh, Todd Downing, the new offensive coordinator there decides to do with this offense. It was very play action heavy that helped Ryan Tannehill a lot. It helped to revitalize his career. And for as much as um, I'm not going to take away from Ryan Tannehill because he has played very well, the play actions, the bootlegs, the rolling pockets, the good offensive line certainly ins- has insulated him. But he's, I mean, to be a good game manager in a system that works for you, that's fine. You can win a lot of games, as Ryan Tannehill has in Tennessee. 22 overall, they picked my number one corner in this class, Caleb Farley. But he was graded as my number one corner before I heard of the back injury. I'm not changing draft grades with anything with medicals, uh, unless it's like, you know, he tears his ACL during the pre-draft process. I might ding someone there like I did for the Colts edge rusher, Dale Odiingbo. But there are serious concerns because I think film-wise from 2019 and even in 2018, Caleb Farley looked like the best corner in this class. Super fast, plenty tall, good twitchiness. The ball skills were tremendous, always found the football could cover separators because he is very light footed. And we know, I mean, this is kind of a a new or what the Titans like to do in the draft or one of their tendencies. They're okay with taking these injury risks. They did it with Jeffrey Simmons a few years ago and it's really paid off because Simmons is a good young defensive tackle. If Caleb Farley's healthy, he immediately helps that secondary. That was bad last year, especially late in the season. They lose Malcolm Butler to the Arizona Cardinals. They needed to add to that secondary. And Caleb Farley and Christian Fulton could form a nice young tandem in Tennessee. They also lost Adoree Jackson, too, who was hurt a lot last season, was kind of coming on as uh, 
former first round pick that was playing a lot better than he did early in his career. So I understood that selection. I liked it. Then at 53 overall, Dylan Radins, the offensive tackle who protected the blind side of Trey Lance at North Dakota State. They needed a right tackle to fill out their offensive line after losing Jack Conklin a few years ago, two years ago now, like two off seasons ago, 2020 to the Browns. He's got to get a lot stronger. But in a zone blocking scheme, and they do a lot of zone stuff in Tennessee, he's an offensive tackle prospect that you want. He reminds me so much of Brian O'Neill of the Minnesota Vikings. Was a second round pick out of Pittsburgh in 2018. Struggled as a rookie, got better in 2019, and was really good in 2020. He got time to beef up and get stronger. That's what Dylan Radins needs to do. But being the 53rd overall pick, he's probably going to play as a rookie. The fundamentals are good. The balance. He just, there were times, even at the FCS level, where he was pushed back a little bit. So I think that's going to be an issue early on. Monty Rice at 92 overall. I thought this was way early. This was like so early that I was, I had to give it a lower grade. He's faster than he is quick. And we always hear the quicker than he is fast phrase, but there are some players and offense and defense that are really fast, but not, they're a little stiff. That's Monty Rice. He is kind of a coverage type who can stay with tight ends down the seam and had a a tendency to do that pretty well at Georgia. I I just didn't think uh, because of the short area quickness was so lacking that he was worth a day two pick. I thought like mid day three would have been a lot more reasonable in terms of value. But to build that defense up, the offense has been very efficient because Arthur Smith did a great job even being very run heavy, which by design is not as efficient as passing the football well. Use so much play action, threw the ball on first down a fair amount for having Derrick Henry. But they needed to build the defense. So they go defense, offense, defense with their first three picks. Thought Monty Rice, though, was a little early. Then Elijah Molden at 100 Overall, I would have been fine if those two picks were flipped if they went Elijah Molden at 92 and Monty Rice at 100. Elijah Molden is a good player. He reminds me of a less athletic Buda Baker, same school. They're both smaller freelance types that were given free reign in that Washington defense that's spit out so many quality corners, safety, slot defenders. That's what Elijah Molden is. He really does it all. Good instincts, pretty good tackler. He's a little smaller. But the instincts help him play faster. And that's, again, what they needed. They traded for Desmond King, but then lost Desmond King uh, this offseason, who is one of the the better, younger um, slot corners in the NFL, still 26 years old. So they needed that slot defender, quasi-strong safety, maybe can play free safety at times, outside corner in a pinch type to get him in the third round at hundred overall. I like that. Des Fitzpatrick then in the fourth round, 109 overall. He was one of my favorite mid round wide receivers because I think he has kind of checks all the boxes. Like he has everything that you want in a mid round wide receiver that can ultimately produce and outplay his draft position. He's got good size. He tested like a high caliber athlete, four years of steady production at Louisville with not great quarterback play after Lamar Jackson left. Runs good routes, very crisp in his routes. And he can hit the big play over the top because he is a 4-4-9 wide receiver. Pretty good after the catch just because he is fast. And after losing 
as many targets as they lost. Adam Humphreys, John Smith, and Corey Davis, they needed wide receiver help. I, I would have liked them to actually pick a receiver a little earlier than this, but I thought Des Fitzpatrick at 109 overall was awesome value. I gave that an A- in real time. And then Rashad Weaver. This was like one of the more fascinating things for me as a draft analyst. He goes actually after his teammate Patrick Jones. And I thought Patrick Jones was more high energy and a little more twitched up, but a little more erratic in that he kind of flailing his hands everywhere, wasn't really executing a meticulous pass rushing plan. Rashad Weaver was like the opposite. He was big, powerful, showed a nice dip around the outside shoulder of the offensive tackle. The pass rushing moves were there. He was really good in 2018 towards ACL, didn't get to play in 2019, and then was very good returning from that ACL in 2020. The fact that he was picked like a few selections after Patrick Jones really surprised me. I gave this an A. I thought this was a really good value. I thought he was more of a second or a third round pick, and they get him in round four. They needed more edge rushing help too. Harold Landry has been steady. Their second round pick from 2018 draft class. I wasn't as high at him as a prospect as a lot of people. Like A lot of people saw him as this like top 10, top 15 talent. I didn't see that. Great speed rusher, but doesn't bring much else. And even after signing Bud Dupree, who I think can be, I mean, we know from his time in Pittsburgh, can be productive as a number two to an elite rusher. But there's not a lot of one-on-one victories. There's a lot of hustle, a lot of coverage sacks, uh, cleanup sacks. I still thought they needed an edge rusher. Would have liked them to maybe prioritize it a little bit earlier. I didn't think they needed Monty Rice at 92, like I said. But to get Rashad Weaver helps that pass rush, adds to that defense. It needed an infusion of talent at all three levels. And they get that with two corners and then a linebacker and then Rashad Weaver at 135 overall. The next two was a little, was not as high on, I'll say, in sixth round. Racy McMath, the wide receiver from LSU, big and fast but doesn't really give you much else. The route running skills are not great. They're going to leave a lot to be desired. He's a good special teamer. And during that portion of the draft, which always bugs me, like sixth and seventh round, when we hear like, oh, this guy's going to be great on special teams right away. I I think special, like, I don't want to annoy any football coaches out there listening because I, I know that's the thing that coaches, especially in the NFL, are like, hey, we need good special teamers. Special teams, it's not, that valuable in today's NFL, especially with the kickoff rules. And we just don't see as many kick return touchdowns. We don't see as many punt return touchdowns as we used to. Uh, It's not, I mean, maybe not punt returns. Maybe that's the same, but kick returns, not nearly as many, even returns happening, obviously. So that to pick someone based on their special teams ability, it's like, come on. Just, I just have the thought that draft picks are so valuable that even a sixth rounder, and I get it, like when you're in the moment, it's like, oh, it's a sixth rounder, who cares? A lot of GMs, when they get fired, are probably like, man, if I just would have taken that sixth round pick more seriously and tried to find a contributor on offense or defense, not picking someone strictly due to his how good of a gunner he is, I maybe still had a job. Then Brady Breeze at 215 overall. The instincts were there in coverage in 2019. He is someone that is not going to hesitate whatsoever on the football field. 
tested really well. I didn't see a high caliber athlete on film. I saw someone that was like the instincts were kind of through the roof. Ran four five five, thirty eight inch vertical. I guess it didn't test amazingly well. Like vertical's good. Five eleven and three fourths inches, almost two hundred pounds. Short arms, tiny wingspan. I was okay with it for a team that again needed a lot of secondary help because there were some big plays in that Oregon Rose Bowl team with Justin Herbert in 2019 made by Brady Breeze. So at 215 overall, I was okay with that. I gave it a B minus. So a couple of A's, a C plus for Monty Rice, a C plus for Racy McMath, who I think is very, very developmental, but sixth round. And then A's were for Rashad Weaver, Des Fitzpatrick, Elijah Molden, Dylan Radins, Caleb Farley. I'm going to give the Titans B plus, A minus in that range. I think they did a pretty good job. They, they've actually been pretty good drafting outside of Isaiah Wilson, who they clearly did not vet properly in terms of the off-field and the maturity issues. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they did a pretty good job. I know a lot of or a few other analysts weren't as high on it. I think beyond the Monty Rice pick, they did a pretty good job matching value with need and picking the right types of players. Maybe would have liked to see a receiver a little earlier edge rusher a little earlier, but I like Des Fitzpatrick and Rashad Weaver in the fourth round. I think those are really good value selections. And if Caleb Farley is healthy, he is the best corner in this draft class. All right. Last team last, but certainly not least, or maybe least the Houston Texans. Holy crap. The Houston Texans two playoffs ago, we're beating the Chiefs 24-0 second quarter in Arrowhead to go to the AFC title game. Since then, it has been nothing but horrific. But not going to beat a dead horse here. Just going to talk about the draft picks. Davis Mills at 67. I could have obviously gone on a long rant, but you've definitely heard a lot about that. About this team, Jack Easterby, Deshaun Watson situation, trading him. Now there's all these crazy off-field Issues that are legitimate, um, it's it's not good. 67 overall, they picked Davis Mills, the quarterback from Stanford. I think they made this pick with like, not, hey, we're giving Deshaun Watson the finger. It's more like, we kind of have to do this because what if Deshaun Watson uh, doesn't play this year or, you know, what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson? No one's really quite sure. I know they have Tyrod Taylor there who can be a bridge quarterback, but Davis Mills, it's like I was a big proponent of, hey, they should pick a quarterback first. Pick, use your earliest selection. They didn't have a pick until round three because of that atrocious Larry Tunsil trade. Thank you, Bill O'Brien. Use your earliest pick on the most valuable position. And I like Davis Mills. There were some like uh, late in the process, first round buzz for him. I didn't see that. He was my quarterback six, but I didn't see even late. I think I had him graded like late second, early third. So I was fine with picking him here. Actually, maybe it was a little later than that, but big arm, big recruit, flashed some ridiculous throws down the field. Didn't read coverages the best and is a little heavy footed, although he does try to run a little bit and actually kind of reminded me of Andrew Luck, how he moved. Maybe it was just like the Stanford uniforms. I don't know. 
I was fine with that pick. I gave it an A minus. I was like, hey, it's a quarterback spot, and there there is upside. He barely played. He was beat up by KJ Costello. That's not the best sign. But we know that Patrick Mahomes was beaten out by Davis Webb at Texas Tech. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to be bad if you're beaten out by a lesser quarterback, but he just didn't get a lot of experience. Then at 89 overall, Nico Collins, I gave this a B minus the wide receiver from Michigan. Size, speed, rebounding. He's a big athlete in terms of he's a literal big athlete and he's a big time athlete. Like he can move, test it through the roof. I think for being a bigger wide receiver too, for being this rebounder type, Nico Collins can separate. He showed at the senior bowl that he's not just this static straight line type that can't get out of his routes and, and, and get off the top of his stem. Not super stiff. It's just, we didn't see him in 2020, but in 2019, I always said this during the pre-draft process that of the two Michigan wide receivers two years ago, I expected Donovan Peoples-Jones to return to school and Nico Collins to enter the 2020 draft, and the opposite happened. And then obviously Nico Collins opted out. So he's a pretty good player. I think he'll contribute as a rookie because that is a it's loaded in terms of the quantity of wide receivers in Houston. But there's outside of Brandon Cooks, there's not a ton of receivers to get super excited about. There's Randall Cobb, Kiki QT. They signed Andre Roberts from the Bills. He's mostly a returner. Dante Moncrief. Dante Moncrief still hanging around. Good for him. Taiwan Taylor, same thing. So I think Nico Collins will contribute for sure. Brevin Jordan at 147 overall. I give us a B. That's kind of where I had him graded. Like there, there was early second round buzz for him. I didn't really see a crazy separator. I think at his absolute best, he can be Eric Ebron. He His film reminded me of Eric Ebron's from that 2014 draft class at North Carolina. Similar size, similar athleticism. You saw the flashes of crazy yak ability. Good athlete, not an amazing athlete. Pretty strong hands. But I just didn't see a super sudden athlete running routes. And he's not a blocker. Two more picks. Garrett Wallow from TCU, the linebacker. Smaller coverage type. I was fine with that. B is the grade I gave uh, in real time. I don't... I don't know how great in coverage he can be because he's not an amazing athlete and his instincts are very good. So I think that will help him. He was very productive in college around the football a lot. The seventh or in the fifth round, 170th overall, I think it's worth picking a linebacker there. That's better value than going second, third round on someone that you have to project a lot of uh, his development moving forward. And then Roy Lopez in the sixth round, 195 overall, he was not really on the draft radar. I didn't really hear a word about him or see a word about him before the draft, but he's a pocket pusher. He's smaller or squattier, I should say, low center of gravity. Not great against the run because he's just straightforward. He kind of, he can get trap blocked very easily, but low center of gravity. There's a good quickness to power conversion to his game. And the pass rushing moves are okay. They're not great. They're okay. At 195 overall, I was okay with that. But it, it wasn't someone in terms of production and high-level traits that was really on the draft radar. But maybe they said, hey, 
we have a loaded roster in terms of quantity of players after all the free agents that we signed. We could use some more push on the interior because if you're looking at their defensive line, I love Charles Amenahue. Ross Blacklock, the second-round pick last year, I think can be a good player. But beyond that, Jaleel Johnson, uh, Demarcus Walker, Brandon Dunn, Vincent Taylor, Derek Rivers is more of an edge guy. Duke Ejiofor, I actually really like from Wake Forest, but he's been injured. Malik Collins from the Cowboys. Like it's a group of journeymen, and no one's can is really a talent to stand out. Maybe Amenahue because he's so big and so long, and Blacklock flashed at TCU as a good athlete and a good pass rusher. But they needed some more beef on the interior. So Houston Texans, for as not good as I think this team is going to be. They didn't have a terrible draft. I'll say B, B. I gave Davis Mills an A minus, Nico Collins a B minus, Brevin Jordan a B, Garrett Wellow a B, and Roy Lopez a C. So I think that's right about in the B range. One A, a bunch of Bs, and a C. Will this draft class being so small and the fact that it began at pick 67 overall really move the needle for this Houston Texas team? Probably not. But they are at the... I don't even know if they're at the ground floor of rebuilding. They are a year away from knowing that they need to start rebuilding, but they're already rebuilding. And Nick Casario looked at this roster and said, wow, we need a lot of talent infusion. So he signed like as many free agents as possible to like one and two year deals. Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, uh, traded for Shaq Lawson, re-signed Vernon Hargraves. They just signed a lot of people in free agency. They brought in Desmond King, Terrence Mitchell. It was like every place I or every tweet I saw during the free agent process, it was like, oh, yeah, the Texans signing someone else. Chris Conley, Chris Moore at wide receiver, Justin Britt traded for Marcus Cannon. So it'll be interesting to see how this team ultimately plays. I I think this is a team that might have the first pick next year, but they had a pretty good draft. All right. That'll do it for the AFC South edition of NFL draft grades on the prospect podcast. I am Chris Trapasso. Remember to rate subscribe and review this podcast. I will finish up this draft series with the NFC South on Thursday, and then I'm going to move to one episode per week will be a mix in the summer of young NFL player lookaheads, rookies, second-year players, third-year players, maybe even some fourth-year players from that 2018 draft class, my first draft class with CBS Sports, and some way far lookaheads to the 2022 draft class as I get to watch some film for next year's draft over the summer. All right, I'm Chris Trapasso again. Thank you for listening to the Prospect Podcast.